Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Early Departures. We are still locked down in our bunkers. Welcome to the quarantine show. <laughs> uh, yeah, right. It's not Early Departures anymore. It's the quarantine show. I don't even know what day it is anymore. Like, is this day 15? Is this day 21? I have no idea. Hello, what year is it? <laughs> is, is it 2021 yet? Hopefully. Uh, Who would have thought this yeah. would be 2020? Um, definitely not me. Uh, you know, it's all the memes out there that are like, everybody thought, you know, 2020 is going to be my year. And then this all happened. I feel like that's, that's the realest meme I've ever seen. (laughs) Uh, yeah. It's horrible. It's terrifying. So while everyone's hunkering down at home, we've got some more travel stories for you. I have a quick travel update. Last episode, I talked about the Zandam boat that was floating around the ocean. Yeah. That morning when I was looking up the story of the day we recorded, they had 77 people showing flu-like symptoms. Uh-huh. Well, Ashley sent me an article last night, and that boat now has four deaths on it. It's so crazy. And now, as of just recently, they've had four deaths, 133 people showing flu-like symptoms, and two people have tested positive for COVID-19. Hmm. Right now, they're trying to pass through the Panama Canal so they can keep heading north and these passengers can get home. But uh, the Panama Canal officials are saying anyone on board that has been confirmed with COVID-19 or is getting sick will not be allowed to pass through. Mm, which is crazy because it's like, I didn't even read that part of the article, um, but that's crazy. As long as they don't get off the boat, what do you care? You know, like, that's nuts. Yeah, I mean, maybe because they're going to refuel. And let me correct that. They said anyone who ha- with the virus would not be allowed off, not just with symptoms. You have to be confirmed. Sure. So, yeah, the, things are getting wild for that cruise ship. It's wild how it can turn that fast where they all thought they were like still okay and having a good vacation and then 77 and then 133 and then i mean four people dying that's wild like they they do say that the cause of death has not been confirmed and they were all older but still pretty yeah. creepy still you, pretty yeah, creepy yeah you know it's you know it's covid <laughs> there's no way yeah and just a reminder i mean this cruise ship left march 7th from buenos aires and mm. it's I don't I don't know what day it is. It's March something. Oh, it's the 29th today as we're recording. And I think there was only like a two-week cruise they were supposed to be on, so. Yeah. I feel bad for everyone on it. What a roller coaster of emotions. Yeah, I feel bad for everybody who's trapped on a cruise ship after these cases start happening because that must just feel like the walls are closing in on you. There's nowhere to run. You can't get out. Right. Especially going from thinking you're on a clean ship with, with everyone being healthy and you could still mm-hmm. do the activities. And I believe now they're all in lockdown. I mean, it just goes to show you that just because people don't have a fear doesn't mean they aren't uh, contagious. A girl in one of my travel groups uh, in her locality, she said that a doctor in their area had said on the news that if three people come in with all the same symptoms, one of them, it'll be allergies, one it'll be the flu, and then the other will be COVID-19. So it's like, you know, the symptoms are so general uh, that none of us know if we have it or what's going on. And that's, I think, one of the scariest parts about it. Yeah. And, and that's what I'm terrified about as well, because it is like I woke up this morning and yesterday and my car was covered in yellow pollen. So oh, I know yeah. like I'm getting into the height of the start of allergy season and I'm yeah. starting to feel really crappy. And I'm like, 
is it allergies? Is it not? Yeah. So I'm just going to keep telling myself it is allergies. We'll be okay. <laughs> yeah. And it is, I'm sure. Yes. All right. On that note, I'm going to take us on a little trip. Take me somewhere nice. Okay. And then tell me bad stories about it. <laughs> okay. This one's a little lengthy. Okay. So in the summer of 2008, British couple James Manning and Charlotte Allen took a vacation from their busy lives as dive instructors to visit Komodo Island in Ind- Indonesia. Hmm. Their plan was to tour the island and go diving. For once, they weren't being instructors. They were just along for the ride. They scheduled a tour with Reef Seekers Diving Center based in La Buena Bajo, a small fishing town. Mm-hmm. The owners of Reef Seekers were a husband and wife couple, Kathleen Mitchinson and Ernest Landowski. They were expats from Scotland and Britain that moved to Bali 15 years ago as a couple. So the owners of this place are from the UK and also the uh, people who are traveling there to take the tour? Yep. Okay. So everybody's from the UK, but they are in Indonesia. Yep. And during this, there's also two other people accompany them for this group trip. And it's someone from France and another woman from Sweden. So we've got a, okay. a, a mixed bag. All right. Um. So one thing to say there in Komodo Island, which is the main island for Komodo dragons, I thought something was really interesting that I read about it. So a lot of people go there. To see the dragons, people think of it as like being Jurassic Park. That's how I envisioned it, but it's really not. It actually looks really, really beautiful. Mm. They were actually going to shut down the island about Uh a year ago because they said tourists were kind of like ruining the landscape and the environment for the dragons, and they were going to increase entry costs to like $500 a person, but like right now it's like 10 or 15 bucks. But they've decided not to go that route. The island's going to remain open to tourists. But another thing I thought was really interesting, if you have your period, you cannot go on the island. What? Because the dragons will smell you. Oh, no. That's not like the worst thing I've ever heard. That's disgusting and creepy all at the same time. Yep. I'll keep that in mind someday. Yeah. So that was just like one thing I needed to put out there. Bizarre. Absolutely bizarre. Yeah. Who knew? So, and another thing is this is a really popular area to go diving because this is area of the islands is where the Pacific Ocean and the Indian Oceans meet, mm-hmm. which makes it really rich in marine marine life. So, we got sharks, manta rays, turtles, but also because it's where the two oceans meet, there's a lot of currents because they're converging and separating as well. Hmm, okay. So, just something to note. So as the tour of Komodo Island wrapped up, the group headed to the shoreline to board a wooden wooden boat to start their dive. When I was researching this story, I actually read several articles about it. And then I found an hour-by-hour account that Charlotte had actually written up. So I'm going to read the kind of hour-by-hour play book of this because it was much more interesting than just kind of like the top-level details. Hmm, okay. Thursday, 4.10 p.m., the party surfaces after 65 minutes of diving. As arranged, they are 30 yards from the boat, but the crew have their backs to the divers and do not see them. We blow our whistles, but still the crew does not respond, so we put up an inflatable four-foot-high orange marker buoy, and again, no one notices, Charlotte says. Hmm. We have no cause for concern at that stage. We are sure they will see us and pick us up, but it doesn't happen. The five of us find ourselves being swept further away from the boat. Oh, God. At 5.15 p.m., we can still see the boat in the distance, but it's impossible for the crew to see us. We decide to swim for land, but the current takes us around the first island. 6 p.m., darkness begins to fall. We all agree as we swim together. Keep afloat with our dive vest that we have to make it to land. Mm. 
but the currents have a different idea and push us around each island we approach, says Charlotte. Jeez, that's terrifying. So that's roughly two hours of being in the water after a 65-minute dive. Yeah. 7 p.m., we see lights of fishing boats, but our shouts and whistles fail to attract their attention. We're all becoming weak. Then a new problem arises, the cold. While we had been warm as we dive, being exposed from the chest up with water splashing down inside of our wetsuits, we begin to feel the chill running through our bodies. Mm. Weakness is going to be our main problem. Will we have the strength to make it through the night? I'm wondering to myself. I suspect the others are thinking the same. 7.30 p.m. We have an incredible stroke of luck. A dead tree trunk about six feet long drifts by. We grab it and we use it as a buoy to cling onto. What is frightening me is the night. I don't want to be out here in the dark, but we all know one will be able to find us and we just have to hang on to that log. Mm-hmm. I hook my arm through the back of Jim's wetsuit. Jim is what she calls James. Uh-huh. And my other arm is around the log. 8 p.m. The wind stirs up waves that crash over us. Helena, the Swedish girl, is badly seasick and getting weak and we have to make sure she hangs on to the log. Oh. But nobody is crying or grumbling. We just have to keep talking about anything that comes in our minds to keep everyone awake. God, that would be horrible. Like It's terrifying. Well, I can only imagine, because I do get motion sick, and when I get motion sick, people have tried to talk to me during it to like take my mind off of it. And I'm like, nope, you just make me want to throw up even more. So I can only imagine that <laughs> poor girl who was motion or seasick And then the rest of them are like, yep, we got to keep on talking, people. We got to stay awake. Oh, the one thing I'm sure she wanted was for everybody to shut up. Yeah. And when I first read these stories, it kind of basically said like, oh, they went out diving. The boat couldn't find them. They drifted away Mm -hmm. next morning. And it wasn't until I read this kind of hour by hour play that she had written that I was like, wow, this is 10 times more terrifying because you get to hear so much more of like, her emotions, and kind of what's going through her head at the time. Yeah. So now it's 10.45 p.m. So roughly, gosh, they've been out on the water six or seven hours. The sea becomes calm as the wind drops, but now we have discarded our weight belts, which were dragging us down. But we are suffering from cramps and being constantly kicking our flippers, trying to force the log to take us to land. Mm. Midnight, Jim and Kath decide to break away from the log and swim to land, believing that they can see the outline of a white beach in the darkness. They are almost dashed against the rocks by the surf, and Kath has to return to the log. But Jim manages to make it to the beach, which turns out to be nothing but light-colored large boulders and rocks. He believes the group can get in and eventually manages to help us all to the beach, particularly Helena, who is now pretty weak. Friday, 12.52 a.m. We're all assembled on the beach, hugging one another, collapsing on our knees. We've been in the water for nearly nine hours, Charlotte says. By sunrise, the group are all bitterly cold after lying in their soaking wetsuits all night and hope that it would be warmer by taking them off. Jim decides to try to find help after Kath tells him she believes we are on an island where there will be fishing boats moored off on one of the bays. Hmm. In fact, they are on a deserted island called (laughs) Rinda. It's one of the homes of the Komodo dragons. Hmm. Kath tries to accompany Jim because she speaks the local language, but as they scale a steep slope, he tells her to go back because it's too dangerous. It is now that he has to use all of his training from his days in Iraq as a member of the 59th Independent Commando Squadron. Uh, Basically, Jim was uh, like the British version of the Marines. Okay. He has taken off his wetsuit and is now in an undervest shorts and slim rubber diving boots. 8 a.m. Jim is almost at the top of the cliff when a snake wriggles in front of him, causing him to reel back and almost fall. Oh, God. Terrifying. (laughs) 
terrifying. Oh, it's like a movie. <laughs> I know. This probably should be a movie. Jeez. 10 a.m., he suffers a second shock. Knocking back a branch, he almost deserves a huge bee colony. Mm. If the branch had hit them, they would have gone berserk. It terrified me so much more than the snake. Yeah. There are dried stream beds all around, but not a drop of water to be had, he says. 11 a.m. Back on the beach, the other four desperately trying to make a fire. Using a magnifying glass, Kath had in her diving gear. But all they manage is to make smoke and no flame. Mm. The thirst is terrible, Charlotte says. My lips are swollen and white. It's just unbearable, and we know we have to try to find water. There was a shade from big rocks in the morning, but now the sun is getting higher and we're losing that shade. There are no trees. The sun is very, very hot. Mm, I guess at least it warmed them up, though. <laughs> yeah. And then they're going to get sunburned and probably dehydration will, like, advance quickly. Yeah, because I'm sure Awful. once you're dry and warm, you don't want to put your wetsuit back on either because that'll just be hot and gross. Mm-hmm. Noon. I find a coconut and break it open, hoping to find milk, but it is rotten inside. Oh, God. Desperate for food and water, we turn to scooping mussels and other things off the rocks. At least we're getting protein and there are some juicy bits. <laughs> 1 p.m. The party builds the letters SOS with huge white rocks on the side of the hill, hoping to attract a boat. It's very hard work, says Charlotte. The sun is beating down and the rocks are very heavy, but we have to do it to get attention. At 2 p.m., a thirst attacks Charlotte again. Kath tells her, pretend that you've just had a long, cool, icy drink, and it helps her overcome the craving for water. I don't think any type of imagining I'm drinking water will help me overcome it. But again, I'm sure it's like fight or flight mode. Like, you have to just, like, beat your brain. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Your brain has to overcome your body So you just don't freak out and then, you know, lose all hope and everything. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Now it's 4 p.m., so this has roughly been about 24 hours since they originally came up from their dive. Mm -hmm. By now, Jim has scrambled down the cliffs and tried to make his way around the coast by clambering over rocks and swimming, but he seems to be getting nowhere. It is dangerous work. Several times he knows he could have been smashed against the rocks, and exhaustion is driving him to his knees. One thing keeps me going, he says, one phrase over and over again. You've got to get help for Char and the others. They are depending on you. You are the scout. Do your work. Which, I don't know. That's like an amazing mentality and probably he felt like the weight of his the world was kind of on him. Yeah. But I tell you what, though, like if you're ever lost in the wilderness or in danger, something's going on. If you're with somebody who ever was in the military, you are in luck because that is just a common common attitude to have. Doesn't matter the branch, doesn't matter their specialty. It is a ingrained, beat in attitude of like, no one's, you know, no one's going to come to help you. You got to save yourself, you know, save the people you're with, whatever. So I could totally see why he is, you know, I'm sure just as dehydrated and tired and freaking out as the rest of them, but would be the one who's can mentally check it and do what he has to do. Yeah, totally. I wish I had that mentality. I'd be like in the fetal position crying. <laughs> Don't worry. I'll I'll be there for your uh, <laughs> climbing over the rocks and the uh, bees and the crazy stuff. Perfect. Fight or flight mode. Mm-hmm. So while Jim is kind of like clambering around the island, at the same time, back at the beach, a Komodo dragon lumbers into view. 
More than 10 feet long, it can easily kill a human with its massive jaws and toxic saliva. So I did a little bit of reading. The way Komodo dragons kill their prey is they bite them and they have this venomous saliva. Hmm. And then it just lets their prey kind of bleed out and die from the poison and then they eat it. Oh, wow. I did not know that about the poison. Yeah, it's disgusting. Wow. I don't think I ever want to go to this island. No, I'm- I don't ever want to like just go look at I'm them. I'm good with that. Yeah. In its mouth is the wetsuit Jim left behind when he began his scouting. The giant lizard almost bites Helena in the head as it snatches at her wetsuit hood lying beside her. Oh my gosh. We eventually chase it off using stones and Kath pokes it with a stick, says Charlotte. It's now 5 p.m. We're desperate on the beach and we know by now we'll have to spend another night in this rocky, isolated place, uncertain whether a major search has been launched for us. A plane has passed overhead, but it didn't see us. We've also seen boats in the distance, but again, our frantic waving, whistling, and calling went unheard. I don't know if Jim is alive or dead at this point. Oh, God, that has to be horrible. Yeah. 5.15. On a rocky outcrop around the coast, Jim sees two people on a beach. I yell and scream at them, but they don't turn around. Finally, I realize they are just two rocks that look like people. Oh, no. I know. Oh, God. Like, soul crushing. My palms are sweating just, like, rereading this to you. Yeah, for real. Oh, God. 6.45 p.m. Jim settles in for the night. He does not know what has happened to Charlotte and the others. He has gone too far to turn back. He just knows he must stay warm, find strength to carry on looking for help. Mm. Back at the beach, the four try to sleep and ignore their crippling thirst. At dawn, on different parts of the island, the five pray for rain and rescue. And for some reason, it goes from 6.45 p.m., on that Friday night and fast forwards to 12.30 p.m. on Saturday and it says Jim's prayers are answered. A speedboat comes into the bay heading towards the rock on which he is lying. People on board are waving and cheering. There is Charlotte waving among them. The ordeal is over. Mm. A German, Frank Winkler, who runs another dive club, had worked out where the divers could be, taking into account the current and the tides and his calculation proved to be right. Wow. And that's where it ends. Wow. That's, I mean, it's incredible that anybody can even calculate any kind of probability of like where they would have floated and you know i know that they do that um when they're looking for a body in a river when they know somebody has (laughs) died but when they're not sure if they're alive or not and the ocean is so big like it's amazing yeah totally thank god there were you know in an area where there were a bunch of islands they could have ended up on and that it wasn't just like wide open ocean (laughs) right in the middle of it all yeah and i think it's really helpful that even though Jim and Charlotte had been, you know, teaching dive lessons yeah. previously. That, that it was good that they had Kathy there who had been kind of diving in this area for 15 years because they may not have known that they could just eat the mussels off the rock yeah, sure. or someone that had some contextual relevancy of like where kind of they were yeah. possibly. So super interesting, super scary. I originally set out to find a story about when Komodo dragons kill people and found this. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, this is too good not to tell. It is really funny. When we st- you, know, you first started your story, I definitely thought you were going to tell me a story about one of them being bitten. <laughs> I was not expecting a uh, dive story. <laughs> Yeah, it took some turns. I can only imagine, though, but it must have been a relief even just to get out of the water. Because I feel like once you're on land, then you can do things like, okay, let's look for water. Let's be in the shade, whatever. When you're just like floating around, holding onto a log, there's no shade. There's definitely no water. And I would hate the... uh uncertainty of that and also the girl with the uh, motion sickness i'm sure that she was very glad to (laughs) get onto the land even as a start well yeah and it's like you have the hold on chase is getting out of underneath the bed (laughs) 
I just hear this thump, thump, thump. And I was like, oh, I thought someone's in the house. He's like, Mama, I'm a Komodo dragon. I bite you. I get you. I get you. Uh, super random. I don't know why I made me think of Komodo dragons and Chase, but because their saliva is toxic. This one guy got licked by a dog, or I believe it was his dog. And he's like one in one million people who have this like allergic reaction to dog saliva. He lost all of his fucking limbs. I saw that. And every once in a while when Chase licks me, I'm like, oh, no. Uh, how about Olaf today, like, shook his head and, like, his spit splatter went, part of it went in my nostril and the other part went in my mouth. I, <laughs> I was like, Ew. I ran to the sink, flushed my nose and mouth with water. Oh, dogs are so gross, but we love them. He's like, oh, Ma, what are you doing? He's like, this is boring. I'm going back to the bed. Okay, lay down, bud. I'm not letting you out. <clears throat> oh, I'm feeling like increasingly worse as I sit here and I'm like, it's just in my head. It's just in my head. Yeah. I'm also telling myself I'm slightly hungover because <laughs> when I got when I got takeout, they, had, they sold me a quart of margaritas uh-huh. for 40 bucks. Yeah, I would take that. I don't even like tequila. And those fucking margaritas were strong. Mm-hmm. I had three and I was like... <laughs> Anyway, what do you got for me? Tell me a story. There's no, uh, there's no lizards or um, drowning hazards in mine. Um, mine's kind of a weird one, though. It is very strange. And I was working on a completely different story, and then I saw this one, and I just read one article, and I was like, "Wait, what?" And then I went down such a rabbit hole, and uh, I think from this story, there are actually very important things for people to learn from. And we'll get to that at the end. But anyway, five years ago, 57-year-old Melissa McBurney left her life in California where she'd worked as a personal assistant to celebrities such as Rob Lowe, Joan Rivers, and John Denver. She wanted to travel and see the world, but also had a desire to teach underprivileged youths in countries like India and Thailand. So off she went on her travels. Some articles report that in 2015, Melissa was traveling in Egypt when she met a married Egyptian man, a 58-year-old architect, and began a casual affair with him. After... Never good. (laughs) Well... Never good. I mean, casual rarely stays casual, does it? After a short fling, she broke it off. He was married, after all, and had no plans of leaving his wife. They never do. (laughs) Uh, If they ever tell you they do, you girls, they're lying. Yeah, get out. And I also realized that if he does leave his wife and marries you, he's probably going to leave you and marry someone else someday. So just get get out of there. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Other articles report that she actually had no relationship with the man, but rather that he was merely a Facebook stalker who she had refused to have a relationship with. In either event, the unnamed Egyptian man became agitated by her rejection and began a, quote, relentless sexual harassment and cyberbullying campaign. What the fuck? Yeah, it's awful. Like, it's just, it's gross. It's, you know, it's gross if he was, like, in a relationship with her and then was acting this way, but it's really, really also gross if he was just some fucking stranger. Like, that's that's terrifying. Yeah, and it also goes to prove that, like, most people, when they think of cyberbullying, they think of, like, 12-year-old kids, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's kind of good to make some awareness that anyone can be cyberbullied and anyone can be evil behind the keyboard. Yeah, and if you don't, if your accounts on Facebook and Instagram and whatever aren't private, anyone can get obsessed with you and start trying to harass you. Over the last two years, Melissa was sent over 120 sexually explicit emails and texts 
some of which included pornographic videos of that guy that he had taken of himself. Blah. <laughs> Just gross. Ugh. Nobody wants your dick pics, guys. <laughs> I was going to say the same thing. They always think you want the dick pic. <laughs> it's like, oh, oh, you, you're ignoring me while I'm stalking you? What if I show you my penis? Nope. Nope, that's not impressive. We don't want it. Yeah. He also allegedly sent stolen intimate images of her to strangers and to the U.S. Embassy in Abu Dhabi, which is where they were, um, and threatened to also send them to her family. So intimate images, you can assume those were like naked pictures, basically. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And um, the man had lived in the UAE for over 20 years, and Melissa had just arrived there in November 2018 on a tourist visa. So, I don't know if it was happenstance that she was there and he happened to live there, or, you know, who knows if it could have been where she was looking at information for her upcoming trip to Abu Dhabi and then started talking to him and then he turned into a stalker. Like, I do not know, but in any event, they were then in the same city. After he started sending her pictures around, she was officially fed up and sent him an angry email saying, quote, I can't believe you did that. You are a dirty animal. The man then reported her insult to the authorities, saying Melissa had demeaned him. Unfortunately for Melissa, under UAE cybercrime laws, it's actually illegal to insult anyone in any electronic format. So anyone, if a man insults a man, that can end up in jail. If a woman insults a man, uh, there are stories you can find where women said something bad about their their ex-husband's new wife and gotten, you know, got sent to jail for that. Like just crazy, crazy stuff that you or I or anyone else, at least in America, would be like, I'm sorry. I can't even fathom. Yeah, like, I'm sorry, you're arresting me for what now? <laughs> hey. So all of Facebook would be shut down in America. Oh, yeah. Like, we wouldn't even be on it if we couldn't just say whatever the hell we wanted all day. Like, half of what we're doing there is just, like, complaining about stuff and people. And, um, you know, I imagine Yelp wouldn't exist because if you said something bad about a restaurant, would you go to jail? Sounds like it. Melissa was taken to a police station on February 24th. So she got there in November. It's now February 24th and charged with slander under the UAE's very strict cybercrime laws. She was detained for two hours of questioning and eventually paid $1,300 for bail and was released. They confiscated her passport and told her not to attempt to leave the country since she had been charged and would have to face trial sometime in May. Oh, no. Yeah. Isn't that like your worst fear is you're in another country and they take your passport and say, you're not going anywhere? Like, ugh. For just saying something mean to someone who's harassing you yeah. already. Yeah. Uh, so three months of sitting in a country that's not your own, also waiting for trial where the outcome could see you serving a two-year jail sentence. I can't imagine what a nightmare that she must have felt like she was living. That, like, I I'm sure every day she was just like, wake up, wake up. This can't be real life. <laughs> like, it's insane. Oh, the fact that they have her passports also. Yeah. Just you can't leave. I feel like as soon as you, if I was in another country, as soon as you took my passport away from me, I would start looking for smugglers to get me out immediately. Like, just yeah. as a natural reaction yeah. of like, I gotta get the fuck out of here. Like, totally. Ugh. Melissa stated, quote, what I've been through has left me absolutely shaken. I have felt under constant threat the past years, causing me unspeakable stress, and now I'm facing criminal charges. 
She clearly never expected anything like this to happen in her response to her really tame response to that outrageous, crazy guy. Couldn't she show them proof of what he was saying to her? Yes, and we'll get to that, but... Okay. Uh, Radha Sterling, a British woman who runs an organization called Detained in Dubai, assists and advocates for foreigners who find themselves in trouble in the UAE. She helped bring media attention to Melissa's case and has reported to Western media outlets that the UAE authorities can, quote, look through your history, and even if you've posted something on Facebook or Twitter from three years ago and even from outside of the country – that could be considered offensive in the UAE, and you could be charged and arrested. So, wow! given how many people have sent an ex a rude text or gotten into a heated argument with a stranger on Facebook, a lot of tourists enter the UAE every day who have no idea that they have actually committed a crime in the eyes of that country that they've just arrived in. So it could have nothing to do with that is anything. So, that is so terrifying and alarming. Yeah. And, you know, it's a situation like... Uh, I don't know if you ever saw the story of the woman uh, who was entering the UAE through the airport. She was on an Emirates flight. She had had a glass of wine, maybe more. I don't know. But she got in trouble for having drank alcohol. And But the thing about it was that she had been getting into an argument about a visa or something. So it's one of those laws and one of those things where... It really doesn't usually come up unless there's some other thing that draws their attention to you in the first place. Right. So it's like something they tack on. Like, you've already done something to upset them. They're like, okay, we're going to make it worse. Yeah. Let's go dig Or it. like, well, whatever she's doing right now isn't illegal, but this other thing she did is. So let's just get her on that. So, you know, if you go to the UAE or any other country, just... Remember that. Like, you could be having an argument with the gate agent about your checked bag fee and there could be a lot, some law that you do not know exists and they can arrest you and take your passport away. <laughs> and it's just, it's nuts. Yeah. I'd also like to suggest never arguing with anyone in an airport. Oh, for sure. I just feel like, th- I just feel like that's trouble regardless. Like if you fight about the check bag fee once you go back to your home country and call customer service, like whatever it is, an airport's yeah. the last place I ever want to argue with any employee yeah be on your best behavior at airports (laughs) yeah just tell me what i gotta do and i'll listen and i will figure out how to fix the situation later like to your point there's just too many unknown laws and circumstances as you transfer borders yeah that you never know about you know like it's not the place ever to do it know the laws and be on your best behavior all the time Anyway, Melissa retaliated by accusing the unnamed man of slander as well, providing all the crazy stuff that he had sent her to back up her side of the story. In late March, and I mean March 2020, like this just happened, the judge- Like right now. Like right now. uh, The judge dropped all the charges against Melissa and finally allowed her to leave the country four months after having first arrived. Yeah, so she showed up on a tourist visa, you know, probably not planning to stay for four months, (laughs) and then this happens. Wow. Yeah. Her accuser had apparently left the UAE by that time, and maybe he had a feeling that the shit was about to hit the fan because the prosecuting judge actually kept the file on Melissa's case open so that if or when the man ever returns to the UAE, he will face punishment for making what basically amounts 
to false allegations against Melissa while actually engaging in serious crimes against her. So let's hope that he's dumb enough to do that someday. (laughs) Well, now it makes perfect sense why he's unnamed because they don't want him to know, I'm assuming. So he does come back. Yeah, actually, that's a good point. Yeah. Because at first I was like, how is he unnamed? But this makes perfect sense. You wouldn't want anyone to get an idea about it in the press. So he's not like, oh, I'll avoid there. Yeah. (laughs) So... I could sit here and grandstand about women's rights in the UAE or whatever laws I think are outrageous there. But really, for me, the takeaway here is that everyone should research the laws of countries that they're about to visit. For the most part, ever saying, I didn't know, is generally not a valid excuse when you're arrested in a foreign country. And in case our listeners don't already do this, I recommend visiting the U.S. State Department's website at travel.state.gov and then clicking on Find International Travel Information, and then just bookmark that page. And that page has a search box under the heading Learn About Your Destination, where you can type in any country name and find out everything from visa, vaccination, and exit requirements, to safety and health information, and most importantly, local laws, which will apply to you when visiting. You know, I always make a tab on our travel spreadsheets called Visa Info, where I also share such interesting facts with you, like satellite phones being illegal in India, and that foreigners have been arrested on arrival for bringing them in, or that unannounced drug tests can be conducted on foreign citizens upon entry into Singapore, and you may be required to provide urine and blood samples, and a positive finding or unwillingness to participate can lead to denial of entry, detention, and or confiscation of your passport while under investigation. So fun facts like that that I learned from (laughs) looking up that site before we go to whatever country we're going to visit. Yeah. It takes 30 seconds. A lot of those make perfect sense. I wonder how publicized is this law in the UAE? Oh, yes. It's it's definitely right there in the, uh, if you go to state... Oh, it's on there. Yep. Okay, just checking. Just checking. Yep, yep. It's definitely just, you know, one of those things. I feel like I can't go there. I've definitely, like... Well, and, you know, the, the State Department, they do want to round up all of the most general, like, laws that could impact tourists and travelers. So they're not going to put laws on there that everybody would know about, you know? <laughs> they're going to put, like, the weird ones of, like, what? What do you mean? I can't... Yeah. Uh, whatever. And so... Here's a good example as well. You know, sometimes that we're in a hotel in another country and we're about to go out and it's like, oh, should I bring my passport or should I leave it in the hotel safe? Mm-hmm. Well, if you were visiting Russia and you check the State Department's website first to find out about their laws, you know that you should bring it because you can be detained by the police just for not carrying your passport with you there. And it's likely that you'd be detained if you are stopped by police and you don't have your passport, you know, and, and maybe you won't, but... Telling them that you didn't have it doesn't excuse you from not knowing the law and God forbid you're doing something else. Like, you know, maybe they stop you because you just jaywalked and they're talking to you and they're like, "Mm, yeah, do you have your passport? And you're like, nope. (laughs) They're like, okay, you can come on to jail with us. But what if you didn't even do something wrong? Like, what? let's say you tripped and fell and you hurt yourself or yeah, something no, else happened any, to you. Anything you to... at all. They could stop you. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, you could do something where you weren't even in trouble. Yeah. Like, you were riding a bike and you fell over. They're like, oh, where's your passport? And you're like, I don't have it. And you're like, now you're in trouble where you didn't even think you were doing anything wrong. Yeah. So um, I'm just saying it can happen with you. nothing negative kind of building up to it as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So better safe than sorry.
Sorry, always. I feel like you should do a whole episode on these PSAs for everyone. (laughs) Well, and I do want to make it extremely clear that I'm for sure not blaming Melissa for anything that happened in her case. It's terrible that this guy was stalking and harassing her, and it's terrible that she had to spend any time at all detained, and it's terrible that her passport was taken away and she was stuck in such an uncertain situation. And my only purpose in everything I've said is to warn people to be aware of what you're getting yourself into when you travel in new places. Because so many of us, including you and me, mm-hmm. <laughs> have seen a, a awesome flight deal and just been like, oh yeah, book it, cool, without doing any research at all. And uh, so I just want everybody to be careful out there so you can enjoy your (laughs) trip and not go to jail in a foreign country and be stuck there for who knows how long. Nope. I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, it's wild. And uh, that's all I got. I hope everybody, you know, we can't travel right now, but when we can, again, because we will get through this and be able to travel again. And everybody just remember to check that U.S. State Department's website travel.state.gov and you can check that site from any country but i also assume that whatever country you're from your government probably has a similar website wherever you would find visa information that's where you'll find laws and tips to stay safe yeah so when you're at home in your own bunker dreaming about travel (laughs) maybe just take a glance at some of these you know yeah you have all this time go do some research to fill your endless hours. I gotta go look up the Azores since that's on our list of A's for next trips. Yeah, yeah. I gotta look Mm. them up. So while you're looking at flight deals and things like that, you know, just do some homework. You got time to kill. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? Generally speaking, a flight deal will be there still one minute later and it will literally take you one minute to just go skim what laws (laughs) are happening in that country. So you can make an informed decision. But, you know, you should really do that anyway because You could also buy a flight somewhere and then find out that the visa process to be allowed to go there is really complicated or strict. Um, So you could you could buy a ticket and find out you're not even allowed to go there. So always look ahead of time anyway. I feel like I've definitely done it where I was like, oh, I'm going to purchase. And then I've taken a second and I've gone and looked it up. And it's like, oh, I need to submit this visa three months prior to travel. And this trip's in a month. No go. Yeah. You know, so that's a really good point. I mean, some of it's not even just about like the dangers and things to be aware of. It's like sometimes it's more about just making sure you're on the right timeline to get the visa before your trip. So a lot of those flight deals come up in the next like 30, 60 days. And sometimes you need more time than that. Yeah, for sure. So do your research, people. They'll save you a lot of heartbreak. Hopefully And jail time. I mean, hopefully you never go to jail. (laughs) But you know. Yeah. Uh, And if you do, hopefully it's in a good country, you know, where it's comfy. Like when you're like taking knitting (laughs) Send you to one of those jail yeah, islands. Yeah, you're taking knitting classes nice. with the local grandmas and, you know, doing yoga in the morning. Yeah, sign me up. That sounds better than what I'm doing right now in isolation. I know, right? I'm just kidding, Norway. <laughs> I take your jail seriously, okay? God. Well, I think that's it for us today, right? Yeah, yeah. The longer I talk, the more raspier my voice gets. I feel like I gotta go run and take my temperature. It's just allergies. It's just allergies. (laughs) Where's my Zyrtec? Well, everybody stay safe in your bunkers. Stay indoors. Don't cough on each other. And you'll hear more stories from us next Monday. And, um, you know, who knows? Maybe maybe everything will be a little bit brighter by then. Here's hoping. Fingers crossed. Yeah. So until then, be safe. And depart on time. (laughs) 